I hope that as you are uh, heading into, thing, into Christmas here this week, you're excited and looking forward to, to what this really means, what this week is like. And I'm, uh, I'm glad to be with you here uh, this morning. I'm sorry I'm not the handsome Finn that you're used to or we're hoping would be here this morning. And uh, no, I'm not talking about them Cornyn boys. Uh, <laughs> I too am saddened that Pastor Franz isn't here uh, to be with us this morning, but uh, I, I hear he's getting better. I ask that you would continue to pray for him, that he would be restored to full health, and I understand he hopes to be able to be with us here on Christmas Eve. So I'm the fill-in. I'm the guy who is asked to, to fill in. I'm Pastor Randy Nelson. Some of you may not know me. I, I'm uh, I, uh, the FLC's Evangelism and Discipleship Director and also a member of Grace. Uh, that might be a surprise to you. We joined about a year ago year and a half ago, but I'm often gone on Sundays, uh, serving and visiting other churches and things, so I too was really disappointed that Pastor Franz isn't able to be here. I'm a, I've been a big fan of his for, for many years and uh, look forward to him getting able to, to be back with us. I am also glad to be with you this morning. Uh, this is a special time of year. Having been a pastor, uh, serving a congregation for 25 years, I, I miss these special seasons. I'm especially glad that, to be able to be with you here on this fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, where we are in the, the home stretch towards Christmas Eve. And, and as we had a chance this morning to light the, the fourth Christmas candle, which is the love candle, and, and as we consider God's gift of love to us in the coming of his Son. And, you know, as we know, right, love kind of a kind of a unique word. We use it in a lot of different ways to describe a lot of different things. Uh, it's hard for us to define. And I came across this, thought you might find this interesting. These are some definitions of what does love mean from uh, four through eight-year-olds. This is their perspective. Uh, eight-year-old Rebecca says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Uh, Carl, age five, says, Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Danny, age seven, says, Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. Lauren, age five, says, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and she has to go out and buy new ones then. Eight-year-old Emily says, love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. (laughs) Billy, age four, says, when someone loves you the way... They say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. Karen, age seven, says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. (laughs) And six-year-old age Tommy says, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they've known each other so well for so long. 
Well, clearly there's a lot of definitions, right, for and ideas about what love means. But we can agree that one of the universal ways that we show love is through the giving of gifts. Like at birthdays or special occasions, like weddings or anniversaries or even Christmas. And we do this, this giving of gifts, as an expression of our love. Our love towards those who are important to us. I'm going to guess that you're like me, that when you get a gift for your wife or your friend or loved one, you want to give them something that's going to bring a smile to their face, that will tell them that I value you, that I love you. And these gifts don't always have to be expensive, but they do need to convey thoughtfulness, some evidence of paying attention, and a bit of sacrifice. We want our gift to say, I listened to you. I thought about what would bless you or what would meet your needs. And I was willing to give of myself in some way to give that to you. When Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds peered down in that manger, what they saw there was the very definition of a gift of love to all mankind. And our text today tells us just that. A text that we've probably known since we were little children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now obviously there's a lot of truth to be found in this passage. But for us this morning, what I want us to do is to look and see what it is that it can teach us about love. And the first truth I'd like us to note here is the origin and meaning of this love. Now, as we all know, right, talk is cheap and that it needs to be followed up by action. Anyone can say, I love you. And many a heart has been broken by words that were not backed up by a commitment through action. But as we look at the beginning of the verse, we catch a view of the real meaning of this special kind of love. It says, for God so loved. These few short words convey the truth that God's love has been in action since before eternity began. And that it came to fulfillment in Bethlehem and at Calvary. For God so loved. A love that sought to meet our deepest and greatest need and was willing to pay the enormous personal cost that it did. And this is no ordinary love. It is God's love. It even has a special name, agape. And it is special in that besides seeking to bless or meet a need, and a willingness to sacrifice to do so, this special kind of love is based on a decision of the will. A decision that does not take into consideration what it's going to get out of its sacrifice, that doesn't consider whether its actions will be appreciated, or if its love will be returned. It is a love that chooses to bless or meet another's Need sacrificially, 
simply because it is the character or nature of that particular type of love. I'm sure we're probably familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It provides for us a very clear and concrete description of the character of this special kind of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And you know, these words aren't meant for just uh, part of a wedding, but they're a revelation of the kind of love that God expresses. They are the embodiment of his nature, centering on hope and forgiveness. When we say he is the God of love, we mean that he is the source of, he is the description of, it is he who defines what this agape love is. And it's a love that has driven God from before creation but is best expressed when love came down to a manger in Bethlehem. When his son set aside the glories of heaven, set aside his majesty and power, set aside the infinite for the finite, the creator became the creation. But even that, even those pictures don't capture the fullness of this love or the real cost of this love. This love would only be fully realized when the Son of God would go to the cross and lay down his life in payment for the sins of all mankind. Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Think about that. While we were still sinners. That is the real definition of the character and nature and origin of God's love. As we continue now through verse 16, we see uh, next the object of God's love. For God so loved the world. The object of God's love is the world. John uses the word world 78 times in this gospel, 24 times in his letters, and it can be defined as the realm of humanity arrayed in opposition to God. The realm of humanity arrayed in opposition to God. When Jesus entered the world, God knew it would be hostile to him. And that hostility would culminate in Jesus going to the cross in order to shed his blood for the sins of all mankind. Now this statement that God loves the world, that's really surprising 
on two counts. First, Judaism, prior to this, rarely, if ever, spoke of God loving the world outside of Israel. In fact, what we find in Judaism is throughout the Old Testament that God's desire was to reach this world through Israel, his chosen people. But his love is always defined in the Old Testament as being focused on them. Therefore, it's a uniquely Christian idea to say that God's love extends beyond the limits of the Jewish race and nation. And we know he's speaking of mankind and not the planet here because he goes on to say that salvation would come to whoever would believe in him. This verse is also of, of interest because John tells his readers elsewhere that they're not to love the world. In fact, in 1 John 2.15, John he said, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father. It's from the world. And yet, God loves this world enough to make the ultimate sacrifice of sending his son. Which helps us understand that what he's telling us is that we're told not to love the ways of the world. That's what he's describing here. Because God does not love sin. In fact, he's willing to die for it. It stands in opposition to who he is. But what we do find is he loves sinners. And so should we. Because we are and in need of a Savior. Let me ask you, as you think about your own life this morning, who is the object of your love? Who are those in your sphere of life that, that, that are the object, the focal point of your love? It's likely whoever that is, you would do whatever it takes to do what is best for them. And you know what? That's what God did for you and I. Fallen sinners. We are the object of his love. The clear truth is that God loves fallen man. He still loved Adam and Eve even after the fall, and he still loves this fallen world today. We are the object of his love, fallen and broken and needy as we are. Next, let's, let's focus on the gift of love. Verse 16 further shows the actual gift of love presented to us. He gave his one and only son. Notice that we're told that God gave. Giving is the essence of what makes a gift a gift. If you purchase or make something and give it to me, you have given me a gift. But if I, but if you purchase or make something and I come and take it, it's no longer a gift. 
When we look at the manger in Bethlehem and the announcement of the angels, we see God's gift to man. The angels proclaim, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gave himself for us. The Roman soldiers, the Jewish leaders, they did not take his life from him. No, Jesus laid down his life in love, in payment for our sin. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And really, this is the meaning of good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in this city of David a Savior, Who will save you? A Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? He is the perfect saving gift given without a consideration or concern, a personal gain or reward or our response. It is a decision of the will and nature of God. And it is given to you in love. This is the meaning and origin and nature of love. It's the real meaning of Christmas. God meeting our deepest need, revealing his heart towards us. And offered to us freely. To all who believe. Friends, if you don't get anything else out of what I've said this morning, I hope you hear this. God loves you in a very special and complete and full and sacrificial way, like nothing or nobody else can. God loves you. And He has shown you that by giving you the greatest gift. And he wants you to receive that gift, that gift of love, his love. He wants you to receive this gift that forgives you your sins, that receives you as his son and daughter, that fills you with the presence of the living God through his Holy Spirit. And the promise, the promise of eternal life. That offers hope and peace and joy. And the greatest of these is love. Friends, there's no better time than right now to believe in Jesus and his love. To trust him alone as your Savior and Lord. It was for this that he came. And what he wants most of you. How he longs to hear you say, as we'll sing in a few moments, 
Come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for you. Friends, don't miss this opportunity. And for those of you who are already trusting in Jesus, who have received this gift of love, I pray that this Christmas would be special for you. That it would be a wonderful refreshing in your heart of the fullness of God's love and his gift given to you. The real and greatest gift of Christmas is love. A gift named Jesus, sent by the author of love, so that we can have the assurance of and enjoy the gift of everlasting life with him. And later this week, as you're opening your gifts at Christmas, expressing your love one to another, please don't forget this greatest gift in his love for you. Amen.